0: We're going to read God's word now. Stephen has asked me if I read his passage for tonight. It is Luke chapter twenty-one and verses twenty-five, or sorry, verse five, right through to the end of the chapter, verse thirty-eight. But for the sake of the first four verses, I'm going to read the whole chapter. So, if you have your Bible with you, or your phone, or whatever you use at home, uh, can we turn together to Luke chapter twenty-one? This is the word of God. Look, he writes. And he says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich. Putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small coins. And he said, Truly, I tell you, this poor woman has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be what be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down and they asked him teacher when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place and he said see that you are not led astray for many will come in my name saying i am he and the time is and the time is at hand do not go after them And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences, and there will be be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against his people. They will fall by the age of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable, Look at the fig tree and all the trees, As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has happened or all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. Amen. And we trust again that the Lord will bless the public reading of his holy word.
1: Now, would you turn to the portion of Scripture that David read to us in Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. So, Luke chapter 21, I think it's important that you have your Bible open in front of you, that you can follow through the verses uh, and see what um, is being said. So, this evening I want you to put on your bifocals. Not your actual glasses, if you have them, but your spiritual bifocals. And if the young people don't know what bifocals are, when you see somebody over 50 in church nodding up and down like a nodding dog, wearing glasses, it's not that they um, have developed a tick, it's because they have bifocals and they're looking to focus uh, at the distance. And, Uh, what's up near. Bifocals enable you to see both far and near, what's up close and what's far away. And this evening, we're looking at a passage of Scripture in which Jesus prophesies what is going to happen in the near future and in the distant future, in the immediate and at the end of the age, what will happen in the short term and what will happen in the long term. Now, right up front, I need to let you know that Bible scholars and preachers and Christians disagree over the interpretation of these words. And the disagreement centers on how much of the passage has to do with the near future and how much has to do with the distant future. Some want to put it all into the immediate future category, so all that Jesus says is fulfilled or was fulfilled in A.D. 70, a very significant date in the history of the Jews when the Romans led siege uh, to Jerusalem and destroyed it. And others want to push everything into the distant future, so all of the passage has to do with the events surrounding the Lord's return. The truth, I believe, is somewhere in the middle, that Jesus in graphic detail is describing what will happen in A.D. 70. Remember, he's looking forward to that uh, event. And then he lifts their eyes, the eyes of the disciples, so that they look forward to his glorious um, return. And that's why I want you to put on your spiritual bifocals, because we're going to look at what Jesus says uh, will happen in the immediate future and in the distant future. What would take place in A.D. 70 and what would take place at the end of the age? Now, I want you to notice four things. First of all, The predictions Jesus makes. Look at verse 5. As Jesus and his disciples are leaving the temple, someone makes a comment about how magnificent the structure of the temple was. Mark is a bit more explicit and he tells tells us it was actually the disciples who said, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And of course, that was true. The temple was truly a magnificent structure. S- uh, situated in Mount Moriah, it could be seen by everyone who approached the city of Jerusalem. It was surrounded by huge pillars of white marble. It had nine doors that were gold plated. Josephus, the Jewish Roman historian, tells us that no sooner had the sun risen than you would have to shield your eyes from uh, the reflection that bounced off uh, the temple. I don't know if you've ever visited Jerusalem, but the um, Dome of the Rock is on the site of the temple, and it has that um, iconic gold dome, uh, which was actually fitted actually by a, a, a Northern Ireland company, MyVan. But when it was uh, the gold, it was originally gold-plated. They had to call back in my van to dull down the gold because the reflection was so strong; it was blinding uh, drivers around Jerusalem. Well, the temple was like some of the stones were sixty-seven feet in length and nine feet wide—wide, wide, the size of a railway carriage. It just baffles imagination how they were able to manoeuvre those stones into place without modern machinery. It had been rebuilt by Herod the Great, who began that project in 20 B.C., and it was completed in A.D. 67, three years before it was destroyed. So, it was still under construction when Jesus spoke and ministered in the temple. Herod spared no expense as to its construction, and Uh, to its decoration. It was breathtaking. You can imagine a Jewish pilgrim uh, coming from the far-flung corners of the empire, uh, coming to Jerusalem for the first time for one of the annual feasts and being blown away by what he saw. It would have stunned him into silence. Its very design was intended to remind him of God's vastness and his littleness, but it was more than a magnificent bit of architecture. It was the center of his religion. It was there that he could engage in worship. It was there that he could uh, offer sacrifice for sin. It was there he could meet God. It wasn't just a centerpiece of Jerusalem. It was central to the cultural, religious, life of the people, and held center stage in their affections. The temple was synonymous with with what it meant to be a Jew. And so the disciples, as they were leaving the temple, make some remark about the magnificent structure and how beautifully it's decorated. It's then that Jesus delivers this devastating prophecy about what would happen to the Jewish nation in the near future in A.D. 70. And it's a threefold prophecy. He tells them that the temple will be destroyed. Jerusalem would be sieged and the Jews would be scattered. First of all, the temple would be destroyed. Look at verse 6. "'As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down.'" Jesus responds to their words of admiration by announcing the temple's destruction. It's all coming down, he says. Brick by brick, it's going to be demolished. The temple will be uh, no more. That icon that stood at the center of Jewish life, culture, uh, and and political and religious life would be destroyed. But Jesus goes on. And he tells them that not only would the temple be destroyed but Jerusalem would be sieged. Look at verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let, let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. Jerusalem would be surrounded, and the people in the city would suffer terribly, Ultimately, many of them would be put to death, and the the rest would be scattered to the four uh, corners of the world. So then, Jesus says, the temple will be destroyed, the city would be sieged, and the Jews would be scattered. Look at the end, uh, or look at what Jesus says there in verse 24. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles reach their fulfillment. Jerusalem, the city of God, the capital of the nation, the seat of government for the Jews, the center of the throne, the home of the temple, it would all fall into the hands of the Gentiles, and the Jews would no longer have a place In which to call their own until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, and that's exactly what happened. In AD 66, the Jews staged a rebellion against Rome. Titus Justus, a son of one of the emperors, marched up to Jerusalem and led siege to it for five months. The people inside the city were reduced to eating dust, and indeed to eating each other. so so malnourished were nursing mothers that they had no milk to feed their children. By the time the city fell, there was no opposition because the people were reduced to a state of physical weakness and helplessness. Josephus, the uh, Jewish Jewish Roman historian, tells us that the Romans took 97,000 Jews prisoners and one million Jews perished, either by the sword or in the siege. They raised Jerusalem to the ground, stripping it of vegetation, and he, uh, Titus Justus crucified a Jew every mile all the way from Jerusalem to Rome. And from that time, the Jews were scattered, and Jerusalem was under the control, underfoot of the Gentiles. And most significant of all, the great temple, that centerpiece of Jewish religion, was destroyed. And since then, no sacrifice has been offered in Judaism. And then in A.D. 690, a Muslim mosque was built in the exact site of the temple, uh, preventing a temple being rebuilt and sacrifices being reinstituted and no sacrifice has ever been offered in Judaism since the fall of the temple in A.D. 70. And you must realize that there is this distinction between modern Judaism and biblical Judaism, because modern Judaism has no atonement. It has no sacrifice. It's interesting to notice, according to history, that not one Christian perished in the siege. Eusebius, writing in 314, Uh, tells us that the Christians took the words of the Lord literally. Verse 21, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. So, normally in a, a, a time of war, you flee to the city for protection, or you stay in the city for protection, but when they saw these things beginning to happen, the Christians went out and fled to the mountains, and all of them survived. So it was a devastating prediction that was made. But Jesus wants us to understand that this wasn't simply allowed by God, this was a punishment from God. Look at the end of verse 23 for these things will be great dist- uh, uh, for these things will be great distress will bring great distress upon the earth and the wrath against this people wrath whose wrath god's wrath look at verse 22 for these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that was written God in the Old Testament through His prophets had warned the people of God again and again of what would happen if they continued to reject Him. And this destruction of the temple in AD 70 was not just a revelation of man's inhumanity to man, it was a revelation of the wrath of God. God was punishing His ancient people for the rejection of Him and the rejection of his son, the prediction that Jesus makes. The temple would be destroyed, the city would be sieged, and the Jews would be scattered and deprived of their land. The second thing I want you to notice is the warning that Jesus gives. In verse 7, the disciples, presumably shocked by the news of what they have just been told, asked Jesus the question, verse 7, teacher, when will these things happen And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? When will these things happen? What things? All the things that he's just told them are are going to happen. He has just told them that the temple will be destroyed, that Jerusalem uh, would be sieged, and the Jews would be scattered. When will this happen? And in response, Jesus tells them three things. First of all, he says, Avoid reckless speculation. Look at verses 8 and 9. And he said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Listen carefully to what Jesus says. Many will come in my name, claiming I am He. Who's the He? The Messiah. And that the time is at hand. What time at hand? The the coming of the Messiah. Do not go after them, says Jesus. Just prior to the fall of Jerusalem, there was this heightened messianic Expectation actually that give rise to the rebellion that precipitated the fall of Jerusalem, and people were coming and they were claiming to be the Messiah, encouraging the people to rebel. And Jesus says, "Do not listen to them." Jesus says, "When you hear of wars and tumults, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come." at once or right away, says the NIV. Wars and rumors of wars are not a sign of the end, but a sign that the end has yet to come. The period of history in which Jesus lived was known by historians as Pax Romana, the time of Roman peace, because Rome ruled over uh, most of the known world. There was peace throughout the Roman world. And Jesus says, when you begin to see that change, when you begin to see peace being disturbed, understand that that is not the end. It's the beginning of the end. The end has yet to come. So, the manifestation of false prophets and wars and rumors of wars was not a sign of the end, but a sign that the end had still to come. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Don't get swept away with wild speculation. Things will change. Things will happen. That is not the end. It's the beginning of the end. As Matthew puts it, these things are the beginning, the beginning of the birth pines. So, avoid reckless speculation. Secondly, he says, anticipate intense persecution. You see that in verses 12 through uh, this seventeen, but uh, let 's just read verse twelve, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues. That gives us a little clue of what 's been spoken of here to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name 's sake. Now here Jesus is not speaking of the jews he 's speaking to the Christians, to the disciples, to those who follow him and he says before all of this happens AD 70 there's going to be a period of great persecution you're going to be delivered up to synagogues in ancient Judaism the synagogue was more than a place of worship it was central to the life of the community and one of the functions of the synagogue was it was used to settle disputes among the Jews and the picture is of these jewish believers suffering Facing trial at the the hands of the wider Jewish community. Jesus even pictures believers being betrayed by their own families. Look at verse 16, "You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. And that's exactly what happened. In a few short years, over-zealous Jews. Like the Apostle Paul, filled with a homicidal rage, rounded up, Saul as he was then, rounded up Christians and tried with all their might to extinguish this growing Christian sect. Within a few short years, the Apostle James would be arrested and executed. The period leading up to the fall of Jerusalem in seventy was a time of ferocious and intense persecution persecution, which was predominantly unleashed by the Jews themselves. After A.D. 70, it's state persecution. Prior to A.D. 70, it's Jewish persecution. So Jesus says, when it comes to these things, avoid reckless speculation, anticipate intense persecution. And thirdly, uh, expect an escalation. Just look at verses uh, 10 and 11. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Jesus says when you see an escalation in these things, you know that the end, the destruction of the temple is coming. So, you will have increased national and international conflict, a time of political instability. You will have kingdoms divided among themselves. In A.D. 69, one year before A.D. 70, you had four emperors in one year in Rome. There would be natural disasters, earthquakes. In A.D. 60, a huge earthquake destroyed the Colossi uh, Valley, uh, and the cities of Colossi lay as a sea in Heropolis. In between A.D. 66 and A.D. 85, hurricanes ravished the empire. Mind for Vesuvius, as you know, erupted in A.D. 79, but in A.D. 76, P- Pompeii had been previously um, destroyed by a massive earthquake. Famine. Rome, in, Rome itself was subjected to a famine and a plague which lasted almost for ten years. And we have lots of historical evidence of strange planetary phenomena taking place in the ten years before Jerusalem's fall. Josephus tells us that there was a comet uh, over Jerusalem that hung like a, a flaming sword. Now, all of those things, those natural disasters and wars and all of that, have been characteristic of our world since the fall of man and his expulsion from the Garden of Eden. As the Apostle Paul says, it's creation groaning for its liberation. But an escalation of these things, says Jesus, would be a sign from heaven that the fall of the temple would come and Jerusalem would be destroyed. So concerning this event, Jesus says, avoid speculation, anticipate persecution, and expect an escalation and it's that escalation that would signal that the terrible judgment is about to take place now notice what jesus says in verse 32 this is very significant verse 32 truly i say to you this generation will not pass away until all has has taken place heaven and earth will take place and will pass away but my words will not pass away jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he says, this generation. What generation? Well, the generation he's speaking to. He's saying, you men are going to witness this. This generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. The warning Jesus gives, avoid speculation, anticipate persecution, and expect an escalation of this planetary disturbance and natural disasters that will happen prior to the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. The third thing I want you to notice is the hope that Jesus imparts. Now, remember, you're still wearing your spiritual bifocals. We have been looking at that which is near, that which is up close and personal to the disciples, the events that surrounded that terrible catastrophe in A.D. 70, the destruction of the temple, the siege of the city, the scattering of the Jews. Now, I want you to lift up your head and look into the distance, not at that that would, that would take place immediately, but that which would take place in the future. Now, of course, the disciples in the disciples' minds, the destruction of the temple would go hand in hand with the coming of the Son of Man. But from our perspective, we know that at least two thousand years lie in between. But I I do think it's significant that Jesus, after making these terrible predictions, He lifts their heads and He gets the disciples to look forward not to the destruction of the temple, but beyond the destruction of the temple to His coming again. He gives them hope just look at uh, verse 25 through to 28. In my Bible, very helpfully, uh, you have uh, above verse 5, Jesus tells the destruction of the temple, uh, and then above 25, the coming of the Son of Man. So, He's lifting their eyes up, and He says in verse 25, and there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars And on the earth, the stress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus will come, he says to the disciples. I will come in a cloud with power and great glory. When he came the first time, there was no cloud, there was no power, there was no glory. He came incognito. He came in the normal way. And although his birth was a virgin birth, it was in every other sense a normal birth he grew up in a normal way. And although he was out without sin, he still passed through all the normal stages of infancy, childhood, and adolescence and went into manhood. And he looked like a normal man. Although he um, had miraculous and supernatural power, he had no halo above his head. He had no light emanating from him to indicate that he was anything else other than a man his glory was veiled his glory was hidden but when he comes we will see him coming in a cloud don't think of literal clouds think of think biblically think of what the cloud meant in the old testament it spoke of the presence of god it spoke of the glory of god he comes in glory john says in revelation 1 and verse 7 look he is coming with the clouds and every eye, not some eyes, but every eye, will see him, even those who pierced him. Luke says his coming will come like lightning that flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other luke seventeen twenty four It will be a great and glorious return, and just like the destruction of Jerusalem it will be preceded by certain signs. Verse 25, there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, just as cosmic upheaval preceded the fall of Jerusalem. That same cosmic upheaval will precede the coming of Jesus. In fact, it's Charles Spurgeon that says that A.D. 70 was a dress rehearsal for the coming again of Jesus. There will be these signs, these indicators that will precede His glorious return. But when he comes, the Christian has nothing to fear. Sometimes people speak about the second coming as if it's a dreadful thing. It's a glorious thing. Look at verse 28. Now, when these things begin to take happen, uh, begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Redemption involves not just the forgiveness of sins but our deliverance from sin, the deliverance of this world from sin, the final defeat of sin, being brought into the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Righteousness. So we don't fear. We stand and we look up anticipating, not dreading the coming of Jesus because then our suffering, the effects of sin are removed and our redemption is is complete. We look forward with eager anticipation. We stand. We lift our heads. We stand on our tippy toes, waiting for His return and our redemption. That is our great hope and our great longing. Jesus lifts the eyes of these uh, fearful disciples off the immediate prospect of suffering and all that would happen in A.D. 70, and he points them forward to his glorious return. It was Lord Shasbury, uh, the great social reformer, and the Lord Shasbury of Shasbury Square in Belfast, who did so much good for the cause of Christ. And he wrote, I do not think in the last 40 years I have lived one conscious moment that has not been influenced in some way by the thought of the return of our Lord. Can you say that? I, I don't think I have lived one conscious moment that has not been influenced in some way by the thought of the return of the Lord. I don't think I could say that, but we should be able to say that. We should be able to say that we look and long for the second coming of Jesus the clouds, not the grave, is our goal. The hope that Jesus imparts. The predictions that Jesus makes, the warning that Jesus gives, the hope that Jesus imparts. The last thing I want you to notice is the response that Jesus expects. What what response did Jesus expect from the disciples when it came to those two things? Remember the two things, the destruction of the temple and His glorious return. Well, first of all, he says, be alert. Look at what he says in verses 29 through to verse 31, the uh, parable of the fig tree, and he spoke unto them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf and you see yourselves and know the summer, um, as soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near so also when you see these things taking place, you will know that the kingdom uh, of God is near. He speaks of a fig tree. Now, the fig tree was an interesting tree. It was an unusual tree. It shed its leaves uh, every winter, but didn't sprout new leaves until the summer was almost uh, 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 upon them. While other deciduous trees began to show signs of life, uh, in early spring, the almond tree and the fig tree didn't begin to show signs of life until the summer almost was upon them. And it's then that people would say, oh, it's nearly summer because the, the fig tree or the almond tree has blossomed. And so Jesus says, when you see these things happening, you will know the kingdom of God is at hand. What things? What things? What are the signs? What are the indicators? Well, cosmic upheaval. We've already noticed that in, in, in uh, verse uh, 25. Planetary disturbance, national conflict, natural disasters. The things that preceded AD 70 and the fall of Jerusalem will precede the coming of Jesus in a more intensive way. That's the first thing cosmic upheaval. The second thing is the control of Jerusalem. Look at what Jesus says there in verse 24. They will fall by the edge of the sword. This is the fall of Jerusalem. And be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Do you see that? That verse is a key verse because it it marks the transition from Jesus talking about the fall of Jerusalem to his second coming. It's a transition verse that lies between the section that describes the fall of Jerusalem and His glorious return. And what will happen during that period? Jerusalem would be under the control, under the feet of the Gentiles. And from A.D. 70 until 1947, Jerusalem was in the hands and under the control, under the feet of the of the Gentiles. But after the Second World War, the Jews began to return. A language that had been dead for 2,000 years was revived, and Jerusalem, at least partially, came under Jewish control once more. Is that a sign? Well, Jesus said, be alert. Read the signs. What are the signs? Cosmic upheaval, Jewish restoration in Jerusalem, And then thirdly, Gentile mission. Jesus said, until the times of the Gentiles are are fulfilled. What are the times of the Gentiles? The times of the Gentiles are that period when the gospel goes out to all nations to the Gentiles. It's the missionary age. Jews would be scattered, and the gospel would go to the Gentile nations of the world. Remember, and we sang about it early. Every every tongue um, will, will 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 sing. I can't remember exactly the phrase, but that him that every tongue will proclaim his name in, in, in glory. But you remember Revelation that there will be people uh, in heaven from every tribe, um, language, people, and nation. And if there are people in heaven from every tribe, language people, and nation, then the gospel has to go out to every tribe, language, people, and nation. In fact, in both Matthew and Mark's account, Jesus says, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And in the last hundred years, through the internet, through radio, through missionary endeavor, we are closer to that point where the world has heard the gospel than we have ever been. Read the signs, says Jesus. Just like the fig tree, when it sprouts leaves, indicates summer is coming. So, the signs indicate I am coming. What are those signs? Cosmic upheaval, Jewish restoration to Jerusalem, the gospel going out to all the Gentile nations of the world. On these signs, is there cosmic disturbance? Well, maybe. There seems to be an intensification of that, but maybe. The restoration of Jerusalem? Well, partially, yes. Gentile mission completed to the world almost. Read the signs. Be alert, says Jesus. Secondly, Be ready. Look at what uh, is said there in verses 34 and and 35. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be wed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things, that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. That word, dissipation, is the uh, Greek word for a hangover, when your head's foggy and fuzzy and you can't think straight. Now, I have been drunk three times in my life. You'll be shocked to know. When I was 10 and twice when I was 14, I grew up in a family of publicans, so drinking was seen as a sign of, of maturity. I don't remember much about being drunk. It's all a bit of a blur, but I do remember the hangover. Your head is clouded, and you can't think straight. You have a blinding, throbbing headache, and you can't think of anything else. And it may be, it may be that that's what Jesus is referring to literally. Don't get drunk. Don't have a hangover, and don't be wed down with the anxieties of life. Or it may be He's saying, think. Use your loaf. Use your head. Use your brain. Because uh, His coming will come like a trap. It will come suddenly. It will spring shut suddenly. Look at verse 36 again. But stay awake at all times, praying that you will have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Do you think about it? Do you think about it? When Jesus comes, will you be able to stand before the Son of Man? When Jesus comes, will it be your redemption, or will it be your condemnation? Read the signs and think. In this passage, Jesus prophesied the destruction of the the temple, and that happened. Something that the Jews thought could never happen, but it happened. And he also prophesied his second coming. And we can be sure that that will happen too. Will you be like those Christians in AD 70 that knew what was happening and left Jerusalem and took to the hills and fled and so preserved their life with the announcement of this prophecy in their heads and in their hearts uh, that, that Jesus had given Or will you be like those who perished, so many of them, in the destruction of Jerusalem? Will you be be safe in Jesus? Or will you be condemned? When Jesus comes, will it be your condemnation? Or will it be your redemption that draws near? Be ready, says Jesus, Are you ready? Be alert. Read the signs. Use your head. Use your mind. Read the signs. Be alert. And be ready. Take refuge in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Believe in Jesus so that you might be ready for that great and glorious day of the Lord. The predictions Jesus makes, the warning that Jesus gives, the hope that Jesus imparts, and the response that Jesus expects. Be alert and be ready. Amen.